a lot of hiring's reactive. Um, you know, when I talk about that, I, I'm saying like there's no plan for an employee once they get hired. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, hey, what's up? Welcome to episode 48. We've got a special episode for you today for a couple of reasons. First, we're covering one of the biggest topics in the manufacturing sector. We're talking about filling critical manufacturing jobs. This isn't the first time you've heard about this on the show. It won't be the last time you hear about this on the show. But the second reason this episode is special is we actually recorded it live during one of our monthly virtual happy hours with the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community. We spoke with Patrick O'Reilly, who is the founder of Factory Fix, a platform that matches employers with skilled professionals. I should say specifically manufacturing employers with skilled professionals. So since it is a live event, it's a slightly different format, but here are the things you can expect. The first half of the interview is largely going to be in our typical format. It's a conversation between me and Patrick, but the second half is Q&A with our audience, with the folks in the manufacturing happy hour industry community. So we're kind of splitting duties this week. I'll be facilitating the discussion, but a lot of great help from the folks in our crew. At the end of this conversation, if you want to learn more, you can head to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 48. And I'd highly encourage you to consider joining our community as well. It's totally free. This group lives on LinkedIn. It's over 400 manufacturing professionals. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. It'll take you straight to the group. But I got to say, I mean, this group is full of men and women that are leading the industry. You're going to notice this, uh, like I've said, this, this interview today is a little different because there's going to be some banter. There's going to be some uh, conversation amongst the folks in our group, but I think you'll get a good taste as to the type of caliber of folks that are in this community during this episode. In fact, I know a lot of you listening are part of the manufacturing happy hour industry community already, but rather than continuing down that path, it sounds like, uh, you know, the best way to get you guys a taste of this is to get into the interview. So, Let's set the stage for our conversation with Patrick O'Reilly. Welcome to this month's virtual happy hour. Always good to see you guys. The past couple ones have been really kind of a round table focused on networking. This month, we're going back to the fireside chat format that we've done before. And I'm super excited to have Patrick O'Reilly on this podcast, this event today. He is the founder of Factory Fix, which is a Chicago and Madison-based technology company connecting manufacturers with a network of vetted, skilled professionals through their innovative matchmaking platform. So we know that you know finding skilled individuals is the number one challenge or one of the number one challenges we have in today's market filling critical manufacturing roles. So we're going to be talking to Patrick about that. So I would ask um, if everyone is, if you're not on mute yet, except for Patrick, please go on mute and then we'll, uh, we'll keep on rolling. So 
looks like we're good to go. So Patrick, welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour. We're excited to have you here. Yeah, it's finally, finally great to be on here. Excellent. I know we've been talking about doing this for a while and we decided to do the live format. So this should be a good discussion today. We're going to do about a 20 minute conversation and then we're going to open it up to Q&A for everyone after that. But since it is the day after St. Patrick's Day when we're recording this and uh, you have a Guinness, I have a Guinness. I know everyone else has their beverages as well. First, I want to offer up a cheers to you, but we're going we're gonna to start this in manufacturing happy hour fashion. So let's say you and I are hanging out at a St. Patrick's Day party in normal times, and we're, we're drinking our pints of Guinness, and someone comes up to you, and they're like, you know, Patrick, I've heard about this factory fix thing that you do. You know, you are doing this manufacturing recruiting platform. How do you describe what you do, what factory fix does to someone if you're having a pint with them? Yeah, uh, well... Factory fix, I would say factory fix is a a two-sided labor marketplace. Uh, On the company side, we help manufacturing companies hire vetted skilled workers. And then on the worker side, I would say we're the easiest place to find a job in manufacturing. Love that. Great way to put it succinctly. Um, I love that there are two sides to the coin to that. You know, one thing I'd, I'd love to learn a little bit more about is your origin story. First thing we'll jump into is where did you get the idea for this? Because I think everyone on here knows this is a, is a problem, but where did you get the inspiration to build a platform that addresses this need? Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a long meandering story. Um, so what we're doing today was not the original intention for factory fix. Um, And, and factory fix was actually born out of uh, my first company, which was called compass automation. And we designed and built custom automation systems, right? We were an integrator. We did a lot of, uh, you know, FANUC robot integration, and then, it kind of evolved into, you know, custom assembly systems, inspection systems, basically anything we could sell, we tried to, we tried to build. Um, but as, uh, as you know, and your audience knows, that is a brutal business. Like it, there, I, there are not many businesses tougher than the custom machine building business. Um, so, you know, frankly, like the machines we were building, weren't all that profitable, right? Uh, You know, we were doing six to eight machines a year. They were all from like half a million to a million dollars. And I mean, you know, you're competitively bidding these machines before you design a single component. Uh, And there's always scope creep and, you know, stuff happens and uh, you run over budget. Um, But what was profitable was the service and the little like upgrade projects that our customers would would always call us for. Um, and, you know, they'd want us to send a technician out and we could charge whatever we wanted, frankly, like, you know, 225 an hour, whatever. Uh, and we were paying those technicians like 40 bucks an hour, right? So basically I got with my partners and we said like, how do we get more of like those jobs? Uh, and, uh, of course the problem was that we only had so many employees, so we couldn't, you know, just send them out. Right. We were busy building machines and, 
you know, trying to hit deadlines. So um, what we did was we, we threw up a separate website. We called it factory fix. Um, we wanted to keep it separate from compass because we knew potentially some of our like competitors, other machine builders would need extra resources as well. Uh, and the first version of it was basically a, you know, simple WordPress template. Customers would describe their problem or what they needed help with. Uh, they put in details like, you know, I need a PLC programmer that knows Alan Bradley and, and that sort of thing. And basically I would just find someone in my network that did that type of work and would just like play matchmaker. Right. And, um, you know, it, it gained a little traction, right? It was a nice little revenue stream. Um, and about the time where it was gaining some traction was when compass got purchased by Tesla. We ended up selling to Tesla. Nice. And, uh, it left me with factory fix, um, kind of on my own. And, you know, this was when, um, you know, startup rage was happening and everyone was doing this, uh, you know, Uber for X type startup, right? Uh, there's Uber for house cleaners and Uber for, you know, dry cleaning uh, and Uber for food delivery, right? DoorDash. Uh, and we were going to be the Uber for automation guy or, or mm -hmm. service tech guy. Mm -hmm. um, so we started as that. Uh, however, uh, you know, it didn't take me long to realize that uh, that's not a very good or scalable business. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, being a scrappy, you know, startup uh, and talking to manufacturers, they were basically you know, they basically told us like, you know, look, this, this project stuff is, is good. Like when we have one, we'll call you, but you know, can you help me fill this like second shift machine operator position? Cause like, that's, what's really killing me right now. Um, so I was like, you know, sure, we'll give it a shot. Um, and, uh, we started doing those type of positions and pivoted into like, you know, full time, and, uh, and, and it was good for a while and we, we grew nicely and we were able to attract our first investors that way. Um, but you know, it still didn't feel all that right because we had essentially like morphed into a, you know, tech enabled staffing firm basically. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, frankly, I'm, I'm sure there's good staffing firms out there, but when I was at Compass, I, I hated like using staffing firms. Like, uh, so there was a lot of like self-loathing that went on through that period. Um, but we did another mini pivot into a like SaaS model and became more of a two-sided labor platform that we are today. And, you know, we've kind of taken off since that. Well, if I'm hearing things right, between the fact that you were running a custom, you know, machine building company, the fact that you started off, you said, you know, you had a WordPress template, you were doing this manually. It sounds like this company in many ways is kind of an answer to finally being able to put a system around all these, you know, all your experiences that were more manual and hard to put into a, a regular routine. So yeah. 
cool, cool story there on how it came up. I want to talk a little bit about hiring as well, because I know a lot of us are in, in the state right now where, you know, we know the challenges in the workforce a little bit. What are some of the, like, let's start with some of the mistakes. What are some mistakes you see when it comes to hiring that, that maybe you guys are, are trying to help out with? Yeah. So the one I always point out is um, there, and this happens mostly with like small, medium-sized manufacturers. Um, there's a lot of like unnecessary friction in the mm-hmm. recruiting and hiring process right? Like these companies will be, you know, amazing from the production side and, you know, implement all these lean manufacturing principles and have that side side streamlined. Uh, But then when it comes to recruiting, there's all these like unnecessary steps. And, uh, you know, for example, you have, let's say the office manager or the HR person, they're the one, you know, posting to all these job boards, right? And then applicants come in from these job boards and then, you know, maybe uh, that person's getting around to them the next day or the next few days after that. And then they're reviewing the resumes and then they're trying to call them for an initial pre-screening. And then after the pre-screening, they're like going to the hiring manager and seeing what they think and trying to coordinate with calendars there. Uh, and there's just like unnecessary steps in the process when today, I mean, with the labor market being so tight, like if you're not hitting these applicants, like the same day or the next day, uh, I mean, forget about it. You're, you're like, they're gone if they're any good. Um, so one, it's just like cutting out unnecessary fluff. So, um, a lot of our platform, uh, we've implemented like collaboration tools. You're able to schedule interviews super easy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, leave notes on candidates, a lot of like applicant tracking type features. Um, so that's, that's one side with small and medium sized businesses that I see a lot where, um, you know, they haven't taken that same, uh, you know, discipline of the, the, the lean, uh, you know, structure into the recruiting side at all. Mm-hmm. Well, what, a couple of things that I find interesting there. I mean, it sounds like when you talk about unnecessary friction, one thing that having a platform to do this does is it gets rid of some of those time gaps, just like in responses when you're going between HR, the job boards, et cetera. Um, I always find it cool when you're able to take you know, tech, like you're running a SaaS company right now, but you're applying it to a manufacturing challenge. I think I heard when you were on Joe Sullivan's manufacturing executive podcast, I mean, some other, I guess the techie features about it, you have chatbots to ask specific questions about experience and you have algorithms to automatically score resumes to kind of speed things along that process. Once we get into the q and I, I wouldn't mind talking a little bit more about kind of the, the how behind all this. But uh, from a big picture perspective, I've also heard you mention that, that, you know, people need to be proactive in their hiring. And a lot of hiring these days is reactive. Can you share what you mean by that? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, when I say uh, a lot of hiring's reactive, um, you know, when I talk about that, I, I'm saying like, there's no plan for an employee once they get hired into one of these production positions. Uh, you know, for example, if one of your machine operators quits, 
you just need a machine operator like super fast to keep that that machine going and and chips being made and uh you know making sure you're getting parts out the door right you're not all that worried uh what's the next step for that machine operator's career if he turns out to be a great employee and and sticks with the company um so i think being proactive about the positions in your company and having like a a true like career development plan for every position even if it's the entry level uh you know uh roles the you know machine operator uh material handler roles like if you can tell that person that you know look in 2 years you're going to be promoted to this and then another 2 3 years after that you're going to be promoted to this if you learn these skills and you have this track record as an employee i mean you're going to have a lot better luck with uh retention and and a lot better luck with with recruiting You know, I I've been asked one more question. I have a boatload I could ask, but one more question before we open it up to the rest of the audience for Q&A. You know, we we all know the challenges of finding talent right now within this group. What is your outlook on the future of manufacturing, you know, particularly from a talent standpoint? Uh, I mean, if we stay the course, I think we're we're in a world of hurt to be honest. Uh You know, we we got to figure out ways to attract uh people to this industry and you know, there's a lot of a lot of different reasons why and we can go into all of them. Um mm-hmm. and you know, you hear a lot of people say like millennials, you know, wanted to go through the four four year degree and you know, we're not doing a good enough job at marketing the industry and people think manufacturing's dirty and all that stuff. um but frankly a, a lot of the problem is the uh the pay rates frankly like uh manufacturing is not exempt from the uh laws of you know supply demand economics and uh you know i think providing salary data uh is is one of the most important things we do um to for our customers and and like showing them where they need to be roughly to to hire for a position um cuz it's going to be tough to hire a you know third shift welder uh at you know 16 bucks an hour when you know they could work at McDonald's or you know drive an Uber for for more than that Yeah, one of the things that comes to mind and and as I ask this question, Q&A is officially open, so the way we'll do this, if you could post your questions in the chat and then I'll have you, I'll, I'll call on everyone, you know, one at a time to keep uh, keep some order to that as as people come up. Um You know, I, I think I feel like that goes back to what you talk about with the career track as well because although that um McDonald's job, for example, might look more appealing because it's not the third shift, it's not overnight. There's more potential um with yeah. uh you know with with a job in manufacturing as, as I think everyone on here would agree. You know, what's what are ways that you're seeing companies successfully showcase that in the groups that you've worked with? Yeah, one I think you're 100% right. Um and I'll I'll tell you what we're doing to attract talent to our platform. Mhm. And that is try to um we're trying to build a a tool on our website that will design like a custom career development path based on where you're at in your career today, um what your interests are, 
you know, where your, um, where your talent or experience lies. Are you more like mechanically inclined or electrically inclined, you know, that sort of thing. And our whole goal is to like show people, here's how you can get to a six figure career in manufacturing within, you know, X amount of years, depending on where they're at in their career. Um, so I think that is actually more important than the starting pay rate in that original job. Uh, cause you're right. Like if, you know, uh, the manufacturing job and the McDonald's job are, you know, the choice today, um, you know, I'm going to choose the manufacturing job. If I know I can get to, you know, these roles, uh, in a relatively short period of time. So you're doing things on your own platform to showcase the potential of this is how you get to that six figure opportunity. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, let's see, we've got uh, a couple, couple comments coming in. One of the first things that, that I'll mention that, that I've heard mentioned before is that you talk about companies not knowing their cost of hiring, you know, but they're very aware of their cost of customer acquisition. And we have a lot of salespeople that, that jump on these calls with us. And I'm curious, why, why, is there, why is that the case? You'd think if you know one, you could figure out the other or know that you need to figure out the other, but why is there that gap? Well, I think um, a lot of it has to do uh, with that, like, uh, reactive hiring mindset, like I mentioned, um, like if you're not, uh, if you don't have like a prepared, uh, recruiting plan or recruiting infrastructure, then, you know, when that position opens up on your floor, uh, and you're, you know, going to be late to a customer, you don't care what it costs, right. You're going to have, you're going to pay that, that staffing fee or, or whatever, uh, to make sure you're keeping that customer happy. Um, and then also I'd say it's, you know, it's not, uh, as common of a metric as some of the sales metrics. Um, and so, you know, you have to take into account, like, what are you paying? Do you have an internal recruiter? What are you paying that? Um, or what are you paying him or her, uh, any job board costs, right? What are you paying for those? Uh, even like premium LinkedIn accounts, mm-hmm. um, any staffing firm fees or anything like that. And then you divide that by the number of you know employees you hire and you come up with a number that's um, shockingly high in a lot of cases. And uh, I think I saw like the average manufacturing hire across all positions comes out to like four or 5,000 bucks a hire. So um, I think once you surface that to these companies, uh, they're a lot more willing to, to dive in, figure out ways to, to reduce that cost. We'll be right back, right after a word from our sponsor. All right, I have a special guest to take care of this ad for me. So keep listening. This episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour is sponsored by SteamChain.io. SteamChain is the machine-as-a-service company, meaning they equip end-users and equipment builders with the technology that allows them to pay or get paid based on machine performance and production outcomes. That's right. SteamChain is flipping the centuries-old capital procurement process on its head. 
Now, if you listen to this show regularly, you know I think Machine as a Service is one of the best solutions in manufacturing right now. But don't take it from me. Hear it from their customers. Let's hear what Robex's president, Craig Francisco, has to say about their Flex Machine as a Service program. You can invest in automation without having to wait your turn for your capital project to be approved. The big benefit for our customers, it takes a lot of pressure off of them to have the system running perfectly when we leave. Typically, once an integrator is done with the installation and startup, then it's it's now the responsibility of the customer to make sure it's humming along and working. With the Flex program, they know that we're there every step of the way. You know, we're just a phone call away 24-7. If we can't do it over the phone, we'll be on site to support them. To learn more, head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash steam chain or tune in to episode 45 featuring Robex, where Craig talks all about machine as a service. And now back to today's episode. And we do have the questions rolling in at this point. So I'll, I'll give everyone the opportunity to come off mute when your question comes up. So, uh, Dan, you have a specific question. And then, Tim, you have a comment um, that I think would be good. So, Dan, we're going to jump to you first. Um, if you want to come off mute uh, and ask your question, we'll keep the conversation rolling that way. So I, I've been teaching at community college, and I've been dealing with a lot of students getting their AS, industrial technology, AAS, industrial technology, and mechatronics. You know, there's been promising people to get their foot in the door, but then I'm seeing companies locally, and it could be just my area, um, not willing to give students a chance or, or really not looking the role. In some cases, it could be the student, but are you seeing that as an, uh, in a trend in your area that's hard for students to get that, that, that foot in the door, or is it best, the best advice is just to get in as an operator and work your way up? What, what are you seeing yourself or companies being too picky? Yeah, no, I, I think um, that's a common problem. And uh, I always think it's best to get your foot in the door at a more entry level position an operator position, and then, you know, showcase your skills on the side as, as uh, you're already in the door. Uh, and then, you know, make that employer promise you, uh, a promotion, like if you're able to uh, essentially, you know, work your way up to, um, to that, you know, higher level role, I guess. But, you know, I always think it's, you know, it's like a, a sales strategy, right? It's like land and expand, right? I get in the door, show what you can do and then justify uh, that higher wage. Um, because yeah, it, it's part of the reactive mindset. I think, some manufacturers do a great job and they have a great apprenticeship or shadowing, you know, program uh, that'll allow you to start in that uh, more advanced role. Um, but most do not. Most are like, you know, I need someone that's done this before, can hit the ground running from day one. And, you know, there's not much you can do there other than get in the door and show them what you can do. Land and expand. Love that. And I think Tim's question is is somewhat related to that as well. Tim, do you want to come off mute and ask that? Well, I actually put two up there, Chris. So I don't know which one you're looking at first. But. We'll uh, we'll get while we're on you. We'll give you both. You get to ask two <laughs> questions, then we'll jump to Sarah after that. So one of the things I love about this is the ability for uh, employers as a system integrator, the ability to have a bit of a, a variable workforce, or, or or be able to shriek and swell as demand comes and goes. And so I think that that's a positive from, from one side of the coin. 
the other side of the coin is that, and I think you you kind of alluded to it is, you know, you can leverage employers to build out your skill sets. And that's one of the things that as a small system integrator, I know from my life in, in Rockwell and Honeywell, it takes a long time to get well-rounded to see all aspects of the business, right? From estimating to delivery to, to project management to commercial side. Whereas small companies can bring you along much, much faster. And, and, and so I see this as a great tool for, uh, for early career people to be able to, uh, to just, you know, from, from your career planner, what do I need to do? and Where can I go to get that and get it quickly? Um, and then I think the, the last thing was, do you have anything from a, a veteran standpoint to, uh, to help bring people as they're exiting their, their military career along into a, a manufacturing environment? Yeah. Um, the veterans comment is, is a great point. And you know, what's interesting is we found in that algorithm that we've built that candidates with a military background, uh, score higher, uh, across the board, which is interesting because it, it is a machine learning like model that, uh, essentially teaches itself based on past results. So that that means like companies are more willing to hire veterans and um, they're making it, you know, uh, deeper into the the hiring recruiting process. So um, basically, you know, we're, we're building this technology that will essentially score you higher and make you uh, uh, more attractive um, if you have a military background. Um, but. There's also other things we're looking at to, to attract uh, or basically get the word out about factory fix to uh, people coming back from military service because there's so many skills that transition nicely to the manufacturing and automation world. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that'll be a, a key uh, initiative for us to grow our, our talent marketplace. It looks like great stuff, and uh, I'll definitely be in touch. Best of luck. This is awesome. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Awesome. Well, Sarah, we have you up next. Um, you've got a great question. I want to give the floor to you. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I guess it actually kind of builds a little bit on what you were just saying, Patrick, about that algorithm and how you're finding these profiles. And I guess my question is, is there anything you've found in within those profiles and a consistency as far as that goals, desires, what people are looking for in a career from an employer? Um, is that maybe different from generation to generation, right? Those younger and newer, those looking for a career change that manufacturers as a whole could just use and draw additional people to the industry, right? Like what are some goals that that these people are looking for that you have found are a great fit for the industry? Wow. Yeah. Great question. There's, there's so much there. Um, first of all, uh, when, you know, these job boards have made it so easy to apply to multiple jobs at once, half the time you have no idea what you're applying to anymore. Uh, especially when you're applying to a role like a machinist or machine operators where there's like, you know, so many uh, open positions in your area. Uh, I think in, Indeed even has an option to where when you apply, apply for a job, it says, would you like to apply to these 20 other jobs too? Um, so what we've done is, you know, we've built this 
the chat bot that will actually uh, immediately text the person after they apply and ask like specific follow-up questions um, about your specific job. And what we've seen is that um, responsiveness and answers to those questions are like more important than the resume and the profile itself. Uh, so I think responsiveness is, is like one huge thing we look at. And then when you talk about like different generations and, and how, uh, how there are different approaches to the industry, um, the willingness to like relocate uh, is noticeable for the younger generation. Uh, it seems like they're less tied down to a geographic location and um, you know, they're, they're much more willing to apply to jobs in, in various states and regions um, versus the older, the older uh, generation that we have uh, on our platform. They're um, quite stringent about like maximum commute time. Uh, so that's one of the, um, the settings that you can put in, in your profile and factory fix like maximum commute. And we see that that being more stringent. Maybe they're just, you know, they just don't want to commute or drive, you know, long uh, to work every day. But um, certainly, you know, if I was a manufacturer uh, and having difficulty filling a position, uh, I wouldn't be so strict on where I'm posting it uh, because the younger generation just seems more willing to, to make that move. Awesome questions, everyone. We've got uh, another one in the queue. Keep them coming. We got plenty of time left. Um, Raul has a question around teaching and training. So, Raul, uh, you are up. Yeah. So, I I know you're talking about giving people the agenda, or you know, this is kind of your career path. Um, kind of one of the things I see a big problem. And you kind of alluded to it. You talked about it, as in a lot of the companies. They don't really have time to train people. It was kind of like, just go. And I went through that because when I, I took a position at Ford and within seven days, they fired the controls engineer and I had the whole stupid department <laughs> as a controls lead. And so I had to deal with fires, you know, set up new equipment slash keeping the fires go stopping and, you know, had to learn this equipment like that but no training, no training on CNCs, no training in heat treat, no training in any of it. And I had to pick it up like that. So yeah. I guess my point is, and this is something I've done myself, is that, you know, you get a new employee and a lot of companies, they don't know how to train them. And, you know, one of my bosses one time, they gave me an intern, they're like, well, you got her for 10 weeks. And I'm like, Okay, what do you want me to ever do? I don't know. <laughs> so I go. Yeah. So one of the things I did was my wife, she actually works at University of Michigan. She won preceptor of the year. Essentially, that is she's a pharmacist, she gets pharmacy students, and in five weeks she needs to train a student to be a pharmacist of five weeks. She won preceptor of the year. So wow. I took that agenda and applied it to this young lady. And to be honest with you, I had her for, had her for 10 weeks, but within six weeks, I felt very confident in letting her lead some of my programs. Mm. So that's what I'm kind of alluding to as in, 
you know, you, ha- you, you got, you know, get them in the door yeah. now because you got to see where they're at. Yes. And yeah. how they can handle no. the stress. I, I totally agree. And, uh, you know, training and, and upscaling is something we're thinking about, uh, to, to work into our product somehow. And, um, you know, we want to be, since we're a subscription based, we want to be, you know, like a, like an Amazon prime, uh, type model where at first it was just filling jobs or, or with Amazon at first it was just free shipping. Right. And then it was music and video and, you know, yeah, all these, all these features. Yeah. Um, so certainly for us, um, training and almost becoming like an outsourced, like training coordinator for our customers where we can, uh, implement like a customized, you know, upskilling training program, uh, based on the industry, based on the machines you have based on the positions you're needing to fill. Um, so that's certainly on our roadmap. Um, but you know, again, there's only as a startup, it's like, you know, you try not to, to get too like out there and, and start. No, I understand. You want to yeah, start yeah. small, take little, start internet. small. Yeah, exactly. Start, up. Yeah. A saying I like is like startups, startups usually die from, uh, indigestion, indigestion, <laughs> not, not starvation, meaning like they try to do too many things, right. not like at once too few things. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm with you. I hear you. Sounds like it's on your radar, but not, not yet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's on the radar for sure. Okay. Okay. Awesome question, Raul. Um, we got another one. Dan has another one. It's a quick one. So I'll fire it off for him. Um, what are the roles you're having the hardest time filling right now, Patrick? Yeah. Um, what's, what sticks out is like maintenance, maintenance mechanics, maintenance electricians, um, for whatever reason, that seems to be where the shortage is. Uh, and you know, certainly there's a shortage, uh, amongst many positions, but that one sticks out. Um, and then one level up, I would say, you know, you take a maintenance mechanic, teach them PLC programming or, or SolidWorks, something, right? something like that. And then these companies are calling them automation technicians. So that's, uh, that's another position that sticks out. Um, so base, basically a maintenance mechanic that's, you know, good with, with automated equipment. Um, and then the other thing that sticks out is like, uh, in the plastics industry specifically, um, process technicians and injection molding operators. There's just like, if I was, uh, you know, a high schooler, high schooler and wanted to, you know, make some real money relatively quickly, I would learn those skills. Awesome. We've got about 10 minutes left in the Q and a, I have a question I'm going to throw out there. If we have any other incoming questions that, that hit us, but we've talked a lot of, a lot about what you do. We've gotten to know your story, some of the common challenges we're seeing in the space um, and how your platform works. Do you have like a success story that illustrates what this looks like in practice, like how it's helped someone like solve their hiring challenges just to put a bow around it for us? Yeah, certainly. Um, 
So I would say we're best suited for that like mid-market size manufacturer. And, and we have companies that are, you know, small and we have companies that are huge, but really the meat's in the middle there. Um, and these companies, you know, your average company, you're, you're talking about like 150 employees. Maybe they have one or two HR people. But especially in the time of, you know, COVID, these HR people are just, you know, running around with their hair on fire. And so recruiting is just a small piece of their job. And so what, what Factory Fix becomes is we're essentially like their outsourced talent department, right? Like we're automating the sourcing, we're automating the screening, we're automating the interview scheduling, and the rating of these candidates. Um, so there's there's several companies um, that fall in in that uh, you know in that size that I think we've made a, a tremendous difference for. And then the way our the way we're priced, um, being a subscription model, you're not paying uh, per hire anymore like you would a staffing agency. You know, staffing agency you're paying big time fees every time you hire someone with us, you're paying us a fixed, you know, monthly fee based on the number of active jobs you're recruiting for and you're hiring as many people as you want. Right. Um, so that person doesn't work out. You're not stressed about, you know, paying a huge fee and, and that person leaving. Um, it's just a fixed amount. And uh, it ultimately it ends up to being, a more cost-effective uh, cost per hire. Awesome. Um, no other questions have rolled in. I've got uh, a couple more questions from my end. And, and as, as we get towards the latter half, the end of this conversation, I always have to ask, you know, Patrick, I see you're based in Chicago and we're having a great roundtable discussion today. So we started off saying we were at a St. Patrick's Day party, but if we were in person right now at a pub, at a bar in Chicago, where would we be having this conversation as a group? Because live events are coming back soon, and I just want to hear about one of your favorite uh, watering holes. It would be a great place for a fireside chat like this. On the green Chicago River, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The river is bright green right now. Uh, so that's pretty wild. Um, geez, man, there's so many, uh, so many places. Let me think. Um, well, we're up here on the far Northwest side. Um, and, uh, there's a place called old Irving brewery. That's pretty awesome. But, um, you know, if I would to go downtown, I would say the Green Door Tavern, uh, which is the oldest bar in Chicago. Uh, and there's a speakeasy still underneath it. And it's just got a cool vibe. So we'd probably be hanging out there. I love that. Love that. Well, hopefully we can do some of these in-person events sometime soon. We actually did a live event in Chicago a year and a half ago at uh, Hay Merchant, Hay Market. I forget which one it's called. Yep. Haymarket Brewery. Yep. Yeah. Haymarket over on the West side. So that was a blast. Hopefully we'll all be able to do that again soon. You know, is there a question you wish we would have asked you, Patrick, that we haven't yet? Something that's still on your mind. Oh man. Um, 
No, I mean, I, I think we, we did a good job. I mean, I went on a, a rant there with my background. I probably took up, uh, you know, 20% of the time just with that, but, um, no, it, it was great to connect and, and please any, anyone, um, that's listening to this, you know, connect with me, uh, especially if you're in the automation or machine building business, like I'd love to trade war stories with you. <laughs> um, but no, no, I really appreciate this opportunity. Love it. And what's the easiest way to connect with you and factory fix? Yeah. I mean, easiest way is just Patrick at factoryfix.com uh, or factoryfix.com. You can check out our website. Awesome. Well, hey, we're going to move to some good of the order here during the last 15 minutes we have. But before we do that, I want everyone to raise a glass to Patrick. Cheers to you for leading us on such a, a great discussion today. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. And a big thanks to the team at factoryfix.com and Patrick for being a part of this conversation. It's kind of funny. We actually came up with the idea to do this live about a week before the interview. I was realizing it was going to be around the time that we do our regular calls. So I really appreciate Patrick and the whole team over there for being good sports about doing this. Uh, A lot of fun. If you enjoyed this conversation and if you're not part of the manufacturing happy hour industry community already, I'd highly recommend you look at joining. You can do that by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. That will take you to our LinkedIn group where this group essentially lives and operates. This whole thing is it's totally free. It's where we post events like this so you know where to go or when to jump on a call with a bunch of the folks in the group. Great spot to get connected, as you could probably tell through some of the conversation there. Great group of people there. So head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. Request to join. I'll let you in right away, and I hope to see you there. Before we wrap up, I do want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Steam Chain. You know they are the machine-as-a-service platform. Now you got to hear a little bit about them from a customer perspective as well. Robex is one of the groups that uh, that works with them, and they've been featured on the podcast as well. If you want to learn more about Steam Chain and machine-as-a-service, you can go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash steamchain. That'll take you to our interview with Michael Cromachie, the CEO over at Steam Chain, or you can jump to episode 45, one of our more recent episodes, to hear Craig Francisco talk firsthand about what Machine as a Service is doing for their business. Again, thank you so much, steamchain.io, for sponsoring this show. And with that, we're wrapping up. Thanks so much for sticking around. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope to get some of your feedback through a rating and review over at iTunes. Go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes to do that. And that's it. Stay innovative. Stay thirsty. We'll catch you here next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.